there are certain things that are just out of your control. And once I took that into account, that really did help me. I was like, I can only control what is going through this phone. After that, what comes back has nothing to do with me. I can't control that. So when I did that, I stopped worrying. I stopped stressing. And all that energy that I was exerting on that side can be brought back to my side. So towards me. So I was focusing on myself. So if I could go back in time, that's what I would definitely tell myself. It's like, whatever that guy says, you just need a response. Mo Hassan is with us this week, account manager at DH Technologies. Mo shares with us his upbringing as a young Muslim, how sales helped Mo overcome his shyness, and why it's important to make the sales rep's job easier to excel your own career as an SDR. Hi, I'm Mark Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Mohammed Hassan, Mo, in the house. In the flesh. <laughs> the first, the first in the flesh since COVID-19. Oh, really? Yeah, the first one. Welcome back. It's an honor. We got social distancing going on. Exactly. Six feet. Right. Each. Mo, yep. it's great to see you, man. Thank you. I was looking through today. You 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 started with us February of 2014. Wow. And you bounced on April 2015. So a little over five years ago, which is a half of a decade. Man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's where it all started. I thought it was like a couple months ago. <laughs> five years? Yeah, we're getting old, Corcoran. <laughs> but it's good. That means if I'm getting old, that Mo, Mo's getting old too. Yeah. Older. Right? Older. Right. Older. Sorry, Mo. My bad. My bad. So, all right, Mo. Mm-hmm. Let's get into it. Absolutely. We want the listeners to kind of get to know you a little. There's sure. the ones who worked here with you when you were here, but we got a ton of people who work here now who don't know who you are. And then we've got a couple people who may be thinking about coming to work for us that, you know, want to get to know you a little. Nah, so, absolutely. So tell us about growing up. Where were you, where were you born? The whole nine. Mm. I just want to thank you guys again for bringing me on today. It's exciting. I've always wanted to collaborate with you guys because I love this is where every, everything starts. And I'll tell you why and how. So um, younger, my family's from Egypt. I am an Egyptian American, uh, Nubian to be specific. My family's from Aswan, about 45 minutes east, uh, a town called El Deca. So What's it's very, how do you pronounce it? El Deca, A-L-D-H-A-K-K-A. Is that where you were born? Um, that's, yes, I was born okay. in a small town over there. And uh, it's our village. That's where my family's from. And that's where, like, the Nubian Egyptians are. So, like, the, um, the princes, the queens, and, you know, along the valley of the Nile, you know. So, we were one of those prominent. Even if you go on Google right now and search it, we'll have a tombstone or just a monument that's been there for many, many years. So, and my family here came to. That's cool. Uh, uh, my family here came to America. Uh, my father was a lawyer back in Egypt. And um, come to America, things changed really quickly. Because he didn't have an education, but things don't align when it comes to credentials and accolades in different countries, which kind of, it makes sense, you know, because of different criteria. So um, I was born in Egypt, came to America when I was about two years old. Family lived in D.C., so it was my father, my mother, myself, and my brother who came to America. My dad had his degree, but no money. <laughs> he, he came to— Is your brother older or younger? No, my brother's younger. Younger. So I'm the oldest. Wow, he was he, about, and he was born in Egypt too? Yes, he, he was okay. there for about 30 days. Wow. And then we got on the airplane. We came here. My dad, he had enough money just to kind of maintain for a little bit. But my my uncle, his brother's one, actually gave him money to come here because he, he had the opportunity to, when you have an opportunity like that, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. So um, we lived in D.C. for about a year in the early 90s. I was born in 1992, so we are in D.C. about 94. And then after a year there, my dad was working the hot dog, you know, like the little hot dog stands, mm-hmm. which a lot of foreigners start that way, mm-hmm. right? They Dude, come in that way. That's so. badass, man. <laughs> he was, so from being a lawyer to doing that, it's a big change, sure. as you guys can imagine. And then while he was doing that, um, after a year in D.C., he's like, yeah, we can't do this. So we ended up moving to Virginia. We moved to Reston. Okay. So we moved to Reston before everybody came to Reston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back in 1995, and we, um, I lived in a community called Cedar Ridge Apartments. It was a um, underdeveloped Section 8 um, housing okay. over there. And imagine Section 8 in Reston is not like Section 8 anywhere else. But at the same time, when things aren't focused on, they can be 
left untouched and things can happen, right? So we lived there. So you're was, saying Section 8 in Reston was nice, nicer? Uh, or like, I mean, help me understand that. So not nicer compared to a Section 8 in Reston and then a Section 8 in Norfolk. They're kind of different. You know what I mean? In like mm-hmm. an urban city. And Reston isn't really like that. So right. um, still considered the suburbs. But it was still an underdeveloped area. So people saw income as something scarce. Right. And the way to make money was to hustle. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what people did. So my dad, you know, came here. He saw that he didn't want to do that. Obviously, um, he had a family he wanted to raise and be a great example. So he went to McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's been working McDonald's now for over 20 years. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> that's I knew that because when you worked for us, he was working at McDonald's. Exactly. Exactly. Tell me about that. He still does. So he's been working at McDonald's for 20 years now. He's been a, a store manager, operates many, many uh, stores. I'm trying to get him to own one soon. Oh, wow. That'd be huge. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a huge uh, step for us. But, you know, going back to when I was younger, um, about four to five group in Virginia. And a lot of my friends in the area also kind of grew up the same way. Section eight. So that means that. The father may be in the house or may not be a house or just working. And then the mother's home and the kids just doing what they want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially as young males, um, we have that privilege to really not be bothered or ask too many questions. So um, when I was younger, my parents grew me up the best way they could. I had a happy, happy childhood. And I still am uh, luckily very happy. Yeah, you're happy. You're, you're, you've got a, a, a good disposition, man. You've always I, you got I a positive outlook that. on I things. I appreciate that. So um, growing up in Virginia was good. And then I went to Forest Edge, uh, Forest Edge Elementary. And my fathers and my uncles, they all did the same thing for a living. They all worked at the embassy, you know, like the Saudi embassies and different stuff like that, because mm-hmm. that's what they knew. People could speak Arabic and they can get a job and not really not go through the grind. But you know how it is. Mm-hmm. It's a grind out here. Right. Yeah. So they're coming out there and vibing with people that speak the same language and kind of group economics coming together. So it made things easier. What, what language? What else do you speak? I speak English. Yeah. Arabic, English and Nubian. So okay. Nubian is a uh, retired language. You can speak it, but you can't really read it. Right. There's no there's no uh, written text for it. So growing up, it's good to know what your parents do for a living as income because you understand it, right? But when all you know is that your dad's all day working and getting money, then that really doesn't help your creativity and your growth. So all of our uncles, they did the same thing. They were drivers and a lot of the kids didn't want to do that. And they were barely making ends meet and the moms would stay home. So that's a culture, Egyptian culture back from Mm -hmm. home that we brought here. The mother would stay home, take care of the kids and the family. But the problem was that Sometimes money just wouldn't be enough, mm-hmm. right? And only they, one person was working. Only one person working, and he, you know, Mark, I got a big family, so we got a lot of kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a lot of kids. There's a lot of mouths to feed, and a lot of responsibility. And sometimes you got to step up in that way. And a lot of my friends did. I chose not to because I was a soccer player. Mm-hmm. As Mark knows, I love playing soccer. Chris, I got a soccer jersey on right now. <laughs> so that is what really helped me because my dad was like, "Look, focus on soccer and focus on school." Don't worry about anything else. He's like, yeah, we may live here, but he took care of everything. You know mm-hmm. how it is as a parent. I'm not a parent yet, but you want to make it seem like there's nothing wrong, even if things aren't going your way. So living in Section 8 households was interesting. And then um, when I got about eight years old, my life changed because right now it was my mother and my father and my brother and myself living here. And then my sister was just born. And then my mom went back to Egypt for her brother's wedding and she needed like a little break from the U.S. grind. And then when she left. How old were you when your sister was born? So you were eight? I was about, so I'm, I'm 28 right now. She yeah. was, so about five years. Okay. Okay. So when I was eight years old, so she was about three. Then my mom went to, back to Egypt and then she broke her visa. So there's an immigration story to this too. Yeah. When she broke her visa, then now what happens? Like my father just my father and us now in a section eight home. So my mom got barred from coming to the U S and that lasted for 10 years. What? Yeah. Between the age of eight. We haven't talked about this. Yeah. No. So between the ages of eight to 18 living without a mother, you know, a woman in your life. So that, wow, that really sparked motivation, uh, you know, tenacity, focus, but a lot of different other things that I'm kind of healing from now, you know, were you able to see her at all during that decade? Uh, I saw her twice. I saw her twice. Did you go to Egypt? That's when I went to Egypt when I was about, um, finally got the age of 15 years old. I got my um, citizenship and went back because I was worried that if I do go back, I would have to enroll in the army. That's Mm -hmm. something you have to do mandatory two years. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to do that. So I got my U.S. citizenship and went back when I was 15 and it was crazy. 
from eight to 15, just first time seeing her. And it wasn't like now calling on WhatsApp and yeah. Facebook. It was like a calling card and you didn't have money to yeah. $2, $5, $10 for a few minutes. Yeah. You know, man. So, so when did she end up coming back to the United States? When I was 18 years old. Okay. That's right. So eight okay. to 18 as a young black man, there's a lot of development, a lot of experience mm-hmm. and living where I was living, you needed a full family. Mm-hmm. And that's what really, keeps the world together as a family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what people want to do, break up families. So a lot of my motivation comes from family, not even money, right? And mm-hmm. sales is a, a position that is driven by money, lots of money, but that's not what kind of drives me is my family. So We'll talk about that and how, you, you know, earning a good income though can help. Yes, absolutely. Will, will, help, will, will help with the family, but your priority is family, mm-hmm. not money, absolutely. You know, which I think is a, is a great thing for all sorts of reasons. And I know Chris does too. So- your mom, eight, 8 to 18, your mom got back. Is that when you were getting out of high school? Or you were out of high school? That was my first year in college. Okay, so let's talk about that. So what did you go to high school? I went to high school at South Lakes High School. I okay. uh, came in as a freshman, really smart kid, focused just because I play soccer and I already knew what my situation was. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't have the luxury of everybody else. Even going back to elementary and middle school, uh, when I got off the bus, my dad was at work every single day all the time. So when I got off the bus, people would go out and play. I had to go home, clean my room. Yeah, make some food for my brother and I because it was just my dad and my brother and my sister went back to Egypt to stay with my mom Okay, to kind of balance things. So it was just guys in the house, okay. no ladies. So uh, I learned self-independency really quickly, mm-hmm. cooking, cleaning. That's why I really don't need a woman to do this stuff for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a catch. You're a catch. So I've been doing that. So that's something that I feel like a lot of males need to just do in general. All right. So, but anyway, um, while I was doing that, then going through middle school and high school, I had friends that wanted to get some money in different ways like we talked about. But then I told myself I wasn't going to do that. I said, I'm going to stay focused like my dad and play soccer. I wanted to be a professional soccer player. So that really did help me. Then I went to college. Virginia Westland. I went to Virginia Westland College. How'd you end up there? This is another crazy story. Life is just very, very interesting. Yeah, no, these are good stories. (laughs) So um, Virginia Westland College, um, I wanted to play soccer, Division One. I was going to walk on to a school because my coach just wasn't good at recruiting or getting people just looked at, mm-hmm. right? He didn't have those skills. Then um, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Richmond. So I applied to VCU because mm-hmm. it was just very diverse school and I liked it. At the age yeah. of 15, I went and saw it and my dad was really pushing me to go to college for his own reasons. <laughs> but, you know, as a kid, I wanted to go to. Then when I applied to VCU, I got waitlisted and that was the only school I applied for. Okay. I don't know if it was just laziness or just like, I had like a 3.2 GPA. So I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. And then when I applied, I got waitlisted. And then in August, I got a letter saying that I didn't get accepted. And I was like, oh, man, what what am I about to do here? It was a really um, tough time. My dad's like, look, whatever you have to do, you have to get away from here. Mm -hmm. Right. Talking about just my environment. And then that really did help me because when I came back at a different mindset and I was really able to help my family. So um, I'll probably go on later, tell you guys if college is worth it or not. Obviously that's up mm-hmm. to the listeners. Yeah. I want to come um, back to that actually. Cause it's kind of interesting with mm-hmm. that part you just said about how your pops wanted you to get away. Yep. But you and I were talking before we recorded about the whole community college for two years mm-hmm. and, and we'll, we'll come back to that. So how, Virginia Westland, how did that happen? So Virginia Westland college. So after I didn't get accepted, I was like, I got to do something. My dad's like, whatever you're going to do, you can't go to community colleges. Just get out of here, right? I was okay. And then my cousin was like, hey, here's a school. It's down in Virginia Beach. They have a good soccer team. They're looking for players. It's next to the beach. And they have on-rolling admission. What that means is that you can apply all the way up to the start date. Yep. And I was like, okay. And then I got in. I was like, cool. I just went down there. Didn't even get a tour of the school. Didn't even know what was it about. I was like, I just got to go to college. <laughs> so I packed my bags at the age of 18. Or I remember 17, I'm sorry. And went to, drove four hours south. And that's where I met my, my best friend, my business partner now, Jabril Salam, uh, at Virginia Wesleyan College. That's so crazy because I know mm-hmm. you're really tight with that guy. Yep. And you met him at a totally kind of random occurrence that you ended up down there. Mm-hmm. And he actually got accepted to ODU, which you would want to go to Division One school, sports, the parties, the vibe, the culture. You know, he's like, that's what he wanted to be. But then when he toured the school, Virginia Wesleyan, there was something interesting. It was a small college, 1,200 kids. Everybody knew each other. It, it was safe. So he liked it and he stayed. And then when I got there, him and I were the only two Muslims on campus. Only two. Yeah, only two out of the 1,200, which was interesting because him and I were in the same FYE class 
FYE is first year experience. Okay. So counselors do that to make sure that you don't fall behind, mm-hmm. make sure that you're actually getting the college experience. So him and I were in the group and his story, my story are opposite, but pretty much alike. He reminds me of you guys. Okay. <laughs> so when I met him, he's like, yo, your name is Muhammad because we did a roll call of names mm-hmm. and they called my name. I was like, yeah. He said, are you Muslim? I was like, yeah. And he's like, yo, bro, growing up, I never knew a Muslim. <laughs> growing up where I'm from in, in Chesapeake, I was like, really? I was like, yeah. I was like, bro, I'm from Northern Virginia. There's Muslims everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so That's good. It was nothing new for me and my right. family. I have a big family here yeah. in uh, America, so... So you can see how those two worlds kind of collided and kind of uh, really fell in love with each other because that's my uh, my good friend. I learned a lot from him and he learns a lot from me. So, you know, the, the podcast Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Mm-hmm. You're definitely a hustler and you're in tech sales. Yeah. Did, did sales at, at some point kind of as a profession, when did it did it hit you at all growing up? Or it's okay no, if it didn't. It kind of no. hits people at different stages. No, it, it, didn't, it didn't hit me at all because growing up, I had a speech impediment. I would had a, a very bad stutter. But I'm going to explain to you guys how sales really helped me with that. Okay. Which is insane. Like you would think you would need a guru or some sort of doctor or anything like that. I legitimately trained myself to stop stuttering. All right. We'll get to that. So. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. I'm going to. I love saving these stories for (laughs) people to keep listening. So make sure everybody keep going. So so what did you major in? So I majored in business. Okay. Um, My dad wanted me to be a doctor so bad. So when I was young, doctor, 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 and that's what I thought I was going to be. He didn't uh, want you to be in sales. No, he didn't, I mean, there, <laughs> nobody, no, the, nobody doesn't understand sales unless you're a business owner. Mm-hmm. That's like the only sales aspect, but they don't understand sales as actual profession, mm-hmm. a very well-oiled machine profession. So my dad was like, be a doctor, so did my mom. So I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And then going into college, I was like, no, uh, senior year of high school, I took sports medicine. I was like, I, I don't want to do this. It's not interesting for me at all. I was like, Everything's a business. I was like, being a doctor is a business. Being a lawyer, I said, everything is a business. I was like, I'm going to go into business. My dad's like, oh, everybody goes into business. They're like, this means you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> That's Not what specific is. enough. So um, <laughs> then from there, I decided that I didn't want to be a doctor. So I got into supply chain and logistics. So it was international business, supply chain, logistics in college. That's what I studied. And then you got out of college. What did you think you were going to do? So I got out and I thought I was going to be in logistics because my buddy and I, Jabril, we had a pallet business. That's what his dad does. You know, those wooden crates, like mm-hmm. the pallets that you see behind Walmart and Home mm-hmm. Depot. Mm-hmm. He picked those up and then sold them to people that have maybe have like a garden or just need to put fish on the pallet, whatever it is. Sometimes the inventory would be free. Sometimes we'd have to pay. So that's what the hustle was. So we did that. And I was like, cool, that's logistics. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. But it was boring. <laughs> it was like you and- just look at. The way things are moving, that may be interesting for you, but that wasn't for me. So after I graduated, the crazy thing happened. I was like, that's what I'm going to do because I didn't think I could be in sales and be in business because of my speech impediment. And younger, my friends would tell me that I didn't know how to talk, so I couldn't be a businessman. So I was really quiet. I was a very shy kid, Mm -hmm. shy to the point where I didn't even want to answer questions in class. Wow. Yeah, so I would be sitting in the front and I wouldn't know the answer, but I wouldn't say anything because I didn't believe that I could get something out. You know, without being laughed at or whatever. So I held a lot of stuff in. You know, as you guys can see, that can be built up rage or just whatever. But I used it as more of just motivation, just more energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. you, yeah, you're a positive guy, man. Hey. You you got you were down in 757 for a little while working, yep. right? Mm-hmm. For and about yep, four and then, years. And then you ended up coming back to Northern Virginia. Yeah, so when I came back to Northern Virginia, this is where the turning point of my career got into sales because my financial professor and my advisor wrote me a letter of recommendation. It was about three pages long, which was just awesome. He was very proud of me. Graduated college, first in the family. Uh, got a little bit of debt, but... Was able to help take care of that with sales, so um, happens to everybody. It happens to everybody, not right? everybody, to lots of people. Lots of people, yep. yeah. So he wrote me a, a letter of recommendation. Everything was awesome. I was going through. I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. And then the last page at the bottom, he's like, Muhammad, I think you would be great at sales. Just the last thing, and I and I was like, what? <laughs> like, I, I never think I even thought about talking it. about this. With I you. told you, this. I was like, yeah, I never interviewed. I was like, I never even thought about it because that's not what I. Did that's not what I learned in school. That's nobody in my family did that. And I was like, okay. And it's just one of those things where it just kind of sat there. I didn't do anything with it. It was just sat there. And then next thing you know, I'm out there with my degree motivated, trying to hit the streets and help my family and feed my family because my mom's back now and my family's put back together, mm-hmm. you know, full family, thank God. Time to make money. 
<laughs> Simple as that. And handle business and take care of most of my responsibilities. But the problem was it was tough. Mm-hmm. There was nobody that was hiring me. What year was this? I graduated in 2010. 2010, okay. 2010, you, graduated. No, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I graduated 2013 in December. I was trying to be employable. Yep. Right. Putting my resume out there. And then I was getting calls, but the calls were like setting up Verizon machines. Like it was like called a professional sales job and it was Verizon. And I was looking at supply chain logistics, but I was back at home now. I was like, this is a government and tech area. There is no ships here unless I went to Baltimore and did logistics over there. But that's not going to work for me because my family's right here and I am family oriented. So I was like, cool. Well, let me just keep applying. Just, Just kept applying. Every day was waking up at five in the morning. Put in applications. Nobody was calling. I don't know, but just day in and day out, like Monday through Monday, you know, just every single day. And then one time after all the bogus calls and sales jobs that really weren't sales, I saw a conference. And this is where I met Lee Ryan. Lee Ryan. Mm-hmm. Lee Ryan. <laughs> Man, I miss her. That was my first interaction of oh, Memory Blue. Really? At one of those job fairs. That's mm-hmm. where we met Ivor Tafro. Ivor Tafro. Yeah, yeah like right. Procession. Yeah, this was over. Tell, tell us about it. I forgot about this. This was over, you know, over in Reston? Reston. Yeah. At the okay. hotel. I believe yeah. Sheraton and Hyatt. Yeah, one yeah, yeah, of the two. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I came in there and I just, I said, sales and marketing. It was a job fair. I was like, what? okay, this might be a sign from God. And it says sales and marketing. I was like, cool. Let me try what my financial professor said. Yeah. Right? I, this is maybe, it's, it's an opportunity. So I took it so, and I ran with this. So I showed up wow. to the conference and I was dressed up suave. You know, I had the tan suit on. I was just ready because I needed to do something. It was about four months. I had no, about three months, I had no job and everything. So it was really, really difficult. Um, my parents were like, hey, don't worry about it. Just relax. Don't stress. And then a few months, were like, yo. <laughs> <laughs> don't okay. relax too much. <laughs> too much, too much. <laughs> and then I, I walk into the um, hotel and I just see old people. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my God above the age of 40 and mm-hmm. up out here. I was like, is this the market? Is this what's going on? And then that really helped me because I was the youngest person in the building, mm-hmm. ready to do some sort of sales and marketing gig. So everybody's talking to me. I got my resume. I was like, yo, okay, this is what I've been waiting for, right? Who knew that a lot of these people that were trying to get me had no clue what they were doing? Mm-hmm. Just saying sales was sales, but it really wasn't professional selling. And then I saw Lee Ryan at the Memory Blue and they were just chilling, you know, really um, poised and everything. I was like, hey, what do you guys do? They're like, yeah, we're a high-tech consulting company out in Vienna, Virginia. You know, these are some of our clients. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And I was like, you're accepting resumes. Like, yeah, how it in hand. And I gave it to her. And then she told me that on Super Bowl Sunday, they get the Monday off. So I was like, okay. What was that mean? I was like, okay, that's cool. I remember awesome. Lee. Lee was especially proud of you. Yeah. I, I remember now. I'm going to have to reach yeah. out to her. She listens to the podcast, too. Oh, she does? Okay, big mm-hmm. shout out. So just so the listeners... Uh, can understand uh, the environment in which we we met Mo. Mm-hmm. It's a career fair, mm-hmm. and we typically avoid those. We typically focus on going to colleges, and that's where we do most of our recruiting or through the job boards. But mm-hmm. when we meet people, we go to these career fairs. Many times, the reason why we avoid them is because uh, typically we don't they don't have the strongest candidate pool. Mm-hmm. However, one of my favorite parts about going to those career fairs in general is the other opportunities that exist for the attendees mm-hmm. aren't that glamorous so we become the bell of the ball so like there's people there i remember our booth being next to someone who was hey you want to get into sales you're going to sell grave plots (laughs) (laughs) and like a bunch of insurance Mm -hmm, and like all these jobs that you don't want to get have and we would always get a good line because we were doing you know software sales i was this close to becoming an ackerman security guy yep i'm sure i would have been a baller at it yeah but yes you would have been uh, you know, it's just interesting how wrong things industry. worked out. Right, wrong yeah, industry. Wrong industry. Especially here, where we're at. Especially under here. Our feet. So um, I was like, cool. And then I gave out my resume and then Memory Blue called. And then I was like, cool, I'm 
I'm, I'm with it. So just the whole experience was just awesome because after that, they did an assessment. I was like, dude, what assessment like needs to be done here? Uh, <laughs> but now that makes sense because the company culture and culture in general, I now I truly understand why you guys did that. And that was really the smart move. You want people that can think alike, work alike, and uh, kind of hustle together. And that really mm-hmm. did help me when I was at Memory Blue. It was all about the team here. I was like, cool. And they did the assessment. I passed. And I was like, awesome. I'm making some headway. And then from there, I got the call. And then I spoke with Tiffany. Tiffany Kale. Tiffany Kale. Yes. Tiffany Kale. Really? Yes. Okay. You talked to Tiffany Kale? <laughs> Tiffany did help me out at that time. Okay. So from leaves, passed all over to Tiffany. She got my information and okay. got me set up and everything to come in. Okay. Yeah. To meet you guys. Yeah. She's a badass too, man. <laughs> yeah. Was, she was a baller. Like, yeah. We still, we still was, work with her. Yeah. No way. Yeah. I would have figured that. Yep. And then um, I thought guy with Tiffany like cool phone conversation. Then I did a well on the phone conversation. Uh, they did, I think I did a swell job. And then I came in and met you guys. And I was like, oh wow, I'm meeting up with the CEOs. <laughs> or, you know, already they're not that fancy. Yeah. <laughs> they're not that impressive. Yeah. Usually like a director, a recruiter, and then I sat down with Mark and I think we talked about Chelsea and like the soccer the whole time. We talked about soccer, but we also talked about what you did coming out of school. Yep. And I remember we talked about your boy Jabril. We talked about a bunch of stuff, and I remember the letter from your professor. I think, I think you showed you. me. I think, I think you, I'm almost you. positive you showed me the, the sales piece. You showed uh, me something, and I was like, okay, this guy's got motivated. This you got a. I don't have any professors writing any letters for me. I don't. I don't know. Maybe you did, Chris. <laughs> no. <laughs> so maybe a special game might have. So all right, and so then you started. Yeah, I got the job, and I started. And and what was that like? What do you remember? Man, when I got the job. Um, it was mixed emotions because I was trying out something new, right? And then um, my family wanted me to graduate and have a steady job, right? Not something that was based off of commission, mm-hmm. not anything that was based off of, of leads or working too hard. Like I said, my father's worked at embassies where their job was to just drive like Saudi princes and royalty and stuff, just take care of them. So there really wasn't anything that was very focused and high intensity. So they're like, okay, you got this job, it's awesome. But, you know, we should be thinking you're supposed to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you're here saying that you're going to be in, in tech sales and setting meetings, mm-hmm. right? That's how simple it was, setting meetings, and they just didn't understand it. And then I had a lot of my family come to me like, why would you do this? Just be more patient, find a job. Like, commissions aren't worth it. You're not going to make any money. They're just going to keep working you. And it's not, just don't do it, right? And I had every reason to not accept. But I was like, no, this is... I found a sales job while in resting in my hometown and these young candidates here, it says people coming out of college, so it's mm-hmm. not my type of vibe. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take that leap and try it. For almost two decades, Memory Blue has helped high-tech firms tackle their sales development challenges and carve out bigger market share in their space. Building and executing a carefully designed multi-touch cadence that generates a flow of sales qualified leads is the hallmark of our business. Our flexible solutions and talented professionals produce real results that clients can bank on. The end goal of our outreach is scheduling a qualified meeting so you can provide a comprehensive discovery call and bring the sale to a close. This carefully crafted process produces new business opportunities that have converted into over $1 million in closed deals. Hundreds of high-tech companies have trusted Memory Blue to help them grow, penetrate new markets, and test the viability of a new product. If you're interested in learning more about Memory Blue's full sales development services, head to memoryblue.com sales. And who'd you work with? Who was your DM? Was Lee your DM? Or somebody else? <laughs> no, I actually had uh, the best DM. Oh. Uh, this might hurt some p- people, but <laughs> Ben. Ben. Ben Dikowski. Benjamin Dikowski. Now, ben is the man. I heard some a few days ago. They say sometimes the company, sometimes the manager, right? And then it was both. Yeah, okay. Ben's the man. And I'll tell you why. He really helped me be successful in memory blue and just k- keep me going and help you know, me stay focused. So I had Ben Dikowski and... It was weird because when he started, he's like, all right, cool. I'm his first guy. <laughs> you were the first one. I was the first guy okay. on his team. And I don't know anything about sales. And he just get into this. We're like, okay. Yeah, he, he was and an SDR, but he'd been promoted to be a delivery he got manager. Promoted. And then the third wheel was Nick Kime. Nick Kime. Wow. We had a Nick Kime in there. And then Nick and I was just, we stayed close because we had to figure this thing out. Yep. This was a grind. 
It was a grind. It's hard. It is a grind. It is. And then it's, it's, it's good to have those people to kind of lean on and help, let you know, like, hey, this is why we started. That's right. So I was an SDR now, right? Sales development role. I think, I don't even know what's called SDR. No, at we that call them account executives yeah. when you worked for us. So it was just, it's sales just, development came, has blossomed in the past, I don't know, five years, probably seven years. Whenever Kyle Porter invented the term. <laughs> <laughs> or that other guy. So, so you're, you're doing the work. Mm-hmm. Dukowski was your... Uh, DM yep. Nick Kime was your primetime Kime was your uh, the the, was your um, co-worker, co-worker right hand, teammate. Yeah. And teammate what client were you on do you remember that yeah I did so when I came in I had a, um, a client called I think Horsetail okay it was a cybersecurity company out in Maryland and they were a credit card processing POC company I believe horrible <laughs> <laughs> like just horrible just in regards to they just didn't have their things together yeah mm-hmm. and you see that Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can be ready, but if the other team is not ready to play and they're on your team supposed to work, it's just not going to work. While I was there, we had somebody else come in, uh, my boy, John. John. John's Jonathan Stevens. Come on, man. Come oh, Stevens. My bad. Yeah. Right. Dude, Mo, we got a lot of people work for us now. Man. I got yeah. four kids. I can't remember my kids' names. Uh, big Softy? Yeah, Big Softy. <laughs> so, which, yeah. John so, Stevens. All right. John like Stevens. Like big Softy. making me work for it. Yeah. 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 So okay. John Stevens had, it had came out and then I think it came out that we have like a two week trial period before you get on the phones mm-hmm. and we listen to um, Costigan. Yep. Yep. That was the man, and I li- I was like, dude, if I if I want to be good at this, I want to follow the best, right? And yep. I just listened to his tapes over and over and over, and that really did help me in my game. So I was definitely obsessed because I was like, cool, I'm starting this thing now, and I just want to be the best, just hands down. I just graduated college. I'm ready. I have a whole bunch of energy. So while I'm listening to that, John Stevens comes on board, and he tells me he's from Herndon. Herndon High School, and it's a rivalry right. of South Lakes High School. That's you know right. what I mean? The, so, the Hornets and um, it's Seahawks. the Seahawks. Seahawks. Exactly. That's right. So just talking to him, we, him and I really did vibe, you know. And I think he also came on Ben's team too, or maybe not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not really sure about that. I don't recall. But um, then we just started rolling. And then the, what really helped me at Memory Blue was that the day that I was about to get on the phones, right before I called, Ben was like, "Hey." and we practice and everything like that. I want you to listen to this. And he showed me a lead that Nelson got. Nelson Amati. Nelson Amati. Yeah. So, so I personally don't know Nelson, but just do Ben. After I listened to him, I was like, okay, you talking about Hitachi and how really he used awesome. the reverse and just a whole bunch of different techniques. I was like, all right, cool. Well, if a conversation opens up like this, I kind of got some things to use here, but I'm still listening to Costa again. I'm still doing my thing. If LeBron can dunk, I can dunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that is awesome. Yeah, Nelson's podcast is good. Oh, okay, yeah, good. good. I, I'm definitely going to check it out. Uh, and, and then from there, I remember, like it was yesterday, um, Ben and Percy was here too. Percy. Percy. Wow. So, so everybody was in the kitchen just chilling. They're yeah, like, Percy. It's your first day. We already went through the training, and Ben was just a hard worker. Anytime I had questions, he would stay with me. But I'll definitely tell you my uh, experience with Ben. Like I said, how he really did help me in this position. So, after that happened, my seventh call, the guy picks up. I was like, oh. The seventh call? Yeah, seventh call. I love call. how you remember the that. seventh dial. Well, that was like six years ago. He remembers the seventh <laughs> dial. Lucky number seven. The seventh yeah. dial. And somebody picks up his hello. And I'm just like, oh, like, <laughs> shocked. Like, I'm, I'm in it now. There's no more listening to tapes. Like, I'm in it. I'm like, hey. I'm, 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 I thank God because the guy was patient with me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> quick, I, I would have hung up. I definitely remember early in the day, people would pick up and I'd like, and I just clicked hang the phone, like, hang the phone up. So, so um, you know, he's patient with me and I was just talking about data storage and backup. Like mm-hmm. what I just remember from Nelson's call, because I was calling on Hitachi. That's okay. why I listened to the call. Yeah. And then after he did it and then, you know, the reverse, all, it worked verbatim. And I was just like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, there's information out there in the world. And if you use it, you can, it's a resource. You know, and then I was just like, okay, True. this guy was slowly just opening up and just telling me stuff. I was like, oh my God, he's talking. <laughs> <laughs> so you know so, so did, did you book it? I did book it. Did it occur? 
So it did occur. So boom, I, so dial number seven. So after I talked to him, he was just going in, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like I've been on the phone for like five minutes now. I need to. How can I get off the phone? Because this guy's just talking. <laughs> and then I kind of just you know use a closing statement, the money statement. Yeah, I was like hey, the look, phrase that pays. The phrase that phrase pays. That I still <laughs> still use that now. Yeah, you should. It <laughs> works. Yeah. So I was like, you know, before we meet next Tuesday at eight a.m., what else would you like to hear on the call? And tell me a whole bunch of stuff. And he tells me one thing <laughs> that is so funny because that one thing that he did not is what. I do right now. He said, <laughs> he said, all right, Mo, I'm willing to talk to it, but no VARs. No VARs. No VARs. No VARs. I, was. I said, no problem, man. No VARs. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll take it away. <laughs> don't add any value. No, he didn't even know what a VAR was. Yeah, no yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. There won't be no VARs. I didn't know what he was talking yeah, say, about. Hey, but, Mo, for our listeners, can you explain yes. what a VAR is? Because so, uh, a lot of our listeners aren't going to know what that absolutely. is. Absolutely. So VAR is a value-added re- reseller. What they do is resell items from manufacturers and OEMs, such as you know Dell, uh, uh, Lenovo, Cisco. So you get the margin and you're the middleman. And this is what I do right now. Right. I work for and, and in um, that case, it would be a Hitachi VAR. Exactly. Uh, it would be a, a company that would go out and resell Hitachi systems. Absolutely. So it, while they're re- representing Hitachi, they're not Hitachi. Mm-hmm. And I caught him a good time because he had a project. I was like, cool, I wrap this thing up. And next thing you know, Percy and Ben, you know, the mentor just. Percy Darkwa. They put me on the phone and they turn around. I was like, I'm coming to smile. I was like, I got to leave. They're like, what? You got to leave? They're like, no, you just started. Yeah. They're like, you just started. Like, how? Everybody was just partying and celebrating, high-fiving. They hit the gong. It was just phenomenal. Uh, wow. So you didn't need to worry because it was with Hitachi. You didn't need to worry about the VAR thing. <laughs> no, I, I, when I booked the meeting, the guy got on the phone. There was a VAR on the line. Oh, no. I didn't know what happened. And the guy kind of, you know, he... Kindly asked the var to get off the phone, and then we continued the conversation. So, oh wow, nice! Yeah. Was a door wow, man. Hey, so so Mo, looking back, yeah. um, what advice would you give yourself the night before you started at Memory Blue? I just calm down. I would say just calm down because, like, you just play things through your head in different type of situations. And what I understand in life now that really helps me is that there's certain things that are just out of your control. And once I took that into account, that really did help me. I was like, I can only control what is going through this phone. After that, what comes back has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. I can't control that. So when I did that, I stopped worrying. I stopped stressing. And all that energy that I was exerting on that side can be brought back to my side. So towards me. So mm-hmm. I was focusing on myself. So if I could go back in time, that's what I would definitely tell myself. It's like, whatever that guy says, you just need a response. You can take some time. You can think. You mm-hmm. can breathe. There's different ways to do that, and the ballers and people up there know how to do it and mm-hmm. very, very well without even seeming just like leading uh, the dance. So I wish I knew that. It's hard, though, because that's the stuff you can only learn from experience. Exactly. Almost, right? You don't know what you don't know. You know what you don't know. So you talked about you were a shy kid growing yes, up. very shy. You speech impediment. Mm-hmm. But you get into a professional it's, occupation exactly. where you have to talk to people. On the phone, exactly. that's strangers. That's the job. Yeah. That's the job. So, how, how did you mm-hmm. mention earlier? How did you work through that? I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, when I got the job, I knew what it entailed, but I didn't know it was that. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of see what I mean? Like high tech consultant, consultant. You think it's you get on the phone with people for an hour and try to figure out things, or you talk like three days a week, or yeah, that was not the case. No, no, <laughs> not, not even close. Not even close. I was like. Yo, like I have an Excel sheet. People have Salesforce now, luckily. Yeah. I have an Excel sheet, paper, and just numbers, and I'm just calling, like legit phone book, and I'm just like, dude, I was terrified. <laughs> right, terrified. Rightfully, rightfully so. It's a, it's a hard job. We try and tell it to people, but people don't know what it is. They kind of don't. Mm-hmm. You don't know until you do it. Exactly. And then after I got that first meeting, I was just like, wow, this is awesome. It was such a great energy, such a great feeling, and I was like, I just made some money too. I just made some extra money. The money that that wasn't based on my base. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So that really did motivate me. And I was just like, awesome. Everybody was just, the atmosphere really did help me too. Because at some companies, you may do something good, even something so small, and they aren't celebrated. Like it was a meeting, even though that's what we do at Memory Blue. But it felt like a Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Super Bowl. It win. felt like Super Bowl. Champions so. League. Okay. All right, so so how, so how did you get good? Just practice, like listen to calls. Point, was it what was it? Like I said earlier, just I was obsessed with listening to people that did this before. Yep. Then I got obsessed with trying to win. Okay. Win for my family, win for myself. So I was like, I want, 
another one. So it's like another one may come in 10 more calls. Another one may come in 100 more calls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just don't know. And I remember listening to a Hitachi executive that worked with there's this one guy i think he worked for hitachi he, he worked here too okay he uh he had a kid and i think he came here and he was talking to us he's one of my clients and he was making good money he lived in maryland okay you know and then after watching him i was like oh man this is is very interesting so before i knew what reps were i was like dude not only do i want that feeling i can make a hundred i can make extra hundred dollars two hundred dollars so i was yeah. like dude what I'm digging. I'm looking for the gold. Yeah. And what the guy was saying on his podcast or his radio show or his call, I loved it because he's like, don't think of it as like, I have to call a hundred people and try to get one leads. Think of it as, okay, there's three gold nuggets in here or three needles in this haystack. What mm -hmm. I need to do is try to get through this haystack as quickly and as confident as possible to find those gold nuggets. And that's why I kind of trying to switch my, my mindset. And that's the way I saw the role. So we can move on from Memory Blue, but w anything else from Memory no, Blue? There, no, there's, there, there's actually a lot more because All right. at the Memory Blue, at that point, I had the motivation. I yep. wanted to do it and I saw I saw the way to do it. And then I had a great delivery manager. Shout out to Ben because late nights, early morning, because when I saw the way that people worked here, I wanted to be the best. So I was looking at the best. So I saw that you had to set up sheet music and then you have about two to three hours of the day where you can go on break, you can chill, or what you can do, keep building up your pipeline. Oh, and that's what I right do here. right now. And I knew that if I wanted to be the best, just like I said, I wanted to get all those leads, I had to do whatever it took. So what that meant was first one in the office, last one out all the time. And when I would get there, it would be awesome because I would get there 7 in the morning or 7.30, and then Ben would be there too. Yeah. So my delivery manager, he's just starting off at the role, so am I. So he's baking off of my success. I'm baking off of his success. We're like, we got to do this together. Just grinding. So from there, 7-7, seven, seven, put in 12-hour days, but like it's nothing. Because it, we just know what this job takes. Yep. And that's what we're learning. So after making so many calls, I started getting good at it. Mm -hmm. And Ben is like, yo, he's proud of me. I'm getting meetings and I'm meeting with clients. And I had that motivation where I love Memory Blue. But I wanted to go to the next step. Yep. Were you always on just Hitachi or what other clients were you on? I was on Hitachi, the horse tail that I was telling you. And then I worked for a company called Bike Grid. Bike Grid, okay. Bike Grid. Um, Bike Grid is the um, the enemy of Cyrus One. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They, they, are, they went Rivals. head in head. Okay. And this is before Cyrus One blew up. Cyrus yeah. One is huge here now. Yeah, they're but huge. This was, huge. I knew before about them. Yeah. And John was on Cyrus One. That's, that's why right. I knew, yeah, that's why they I knew about They converted him. So I knew about data centers. Sure. And then just listen to those conversations. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is insane. Like, these are the servers that people are talking about for these high-level government agencies and intel agencies and huge five, Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. And when you hear people like, hey, I'm in IT and Cisco certified, I was like, dude, this is what they – this is it. Yeah. You know? And then I was like, okay, how can I get there? Yep. And then once I started booking meetings, I was very interested to see how the conversation went. So I used to listen to all the calls, hear them again, ask the reps so many questions. And what really helped me differentiate myself between everybody else is that I made the reps job so easy, which helped me in my future career. Without question. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. Go into that a little bit. Yeah. So what I meant Making by- Making the reps life easy, which helped you in your career. So at Memory Blue, you are considered an inside rep, BDR, whatever you want to call yep. it. You know what your job is to uncover opportunities, book meetings. That's, that's what you're here for. And then I didn't just book meetings. I was also in a way on his calendar, making sure like he's on the road a lot. So I would call him an hour before. Hey, look, it's the game plan. We have a call. Let's talk about it. This is stuff that we talk about. This is stuff that we're not going to talk about. How is the customer feeling? Okay. And I used to do those small things that you guys tell us. Every time before I got on a call with the customer to ensure they were going to get on, I would send a calendar invite with an hour notification on there. That way, within that hour, they know that if they can make that meeting or not. They're going to either deny it or accept it again. So from there, when the call goes on, I don't have to wonder, are they going to get on this call? Am I going to get paid? Because that's the goal I'm trying to get paid. Right. Yeah. Is this going to occur or not? It's going to occur or not. Correct. And how did that help you later in your career? Because it helped me because I said, okay, 
I wanted to be the rep and I couldn't believe it where they were telling me stories where these people make six figures, $100,000, $200,000, I was just thought that was insane because come from section eight, that type of money, mm-hmm. you don't get that type of money from selling drugs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or just mm-hmm. legally because that's insane and mm-hmm. you don't have to go through the stress of life and criminalization mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. just things you don't want to put your family through. So, mm-hmm. you know, decided to keep my hands clean. And then with that, I was like, I can make six figures just again. I was thinking about the money that I can make with the meetings to, to help my family. Mm-hmm. And then when I figured out what, what a rep was making, as much as doctors or more, I said, mm-hmm. I can make my family proud. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the way that I made the rep's job easier was I did, well, I can't remember right now. There was that, was it a lead? It wasn't a lead list. It we was had a lead, lead write-up. Write up. Lead yeah, write-ups. Those lead write-ups were insane. The refs absolutely loved it. They're <laughs> of like, course. bro. And now they get on the phone with the customer and they're getting straight to it. You would think that, you know, an hour call was enough for a demo. All I need now is 30 minutes. Just because you get straight to it and you don't be us on the stuff that don't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're really getting down to business. Nice. Well, I think that's what uh, your, your story illustrates is that it's... It, it's more important just the, than just getting leads. Yes. It's all the stuff that doesn't show up in there. It's it's the relationship with the rep. It's the lead write-up. It's mm-hmm. the uh, relationship after the call. All the stuff that Mark Mark refers to as bedside manner, <laughs> right? Your bedside yeah. manner with the I, reps. I do remember that. You remember and, the bedside manner? And, I do remember that. And we had Arash on, on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and, and he comes at it from a different angle, but he said it brilliantly. He When he goes, he's in client success and he says when he's working with his clients, he talks to his point of contact and says, listen, my job is to get you promoted. Yeah. Like, I'm going to do whatever I can to make you look good and make you shine. And SDRs, that should really be your goal is to get your rep promoted or to club or to, to quota. Yep. You're the support system to help them do that. And if you can do that, you're going to be the rep hmm. faster than you can think. So because I knew my end goal, that made things easier. Because I was like, here it is. No matter what it takes, I got to go. And I think a lot of people don't see things through. Because I was like, no matter how hard it gets, whatever it takes, I know what I want. So I had to go through a lot of BS. And I'll tell you why, especially in the professional workforce, especially in sales. So after I crushed it here at Memory Blue for six months, I got promoted internally Mm -hmm. to become a um, sales rep, Mm -hmm. bringing in clients for Memory Blue to sell upon, right? For them to provide the services for and then... That was a different world. <laughs> well, man, well, that was a different world. I thought um, making um, leads was lonely. That's a lonely job. That's it's lonely. A, it's, it's, a, it's a big leap. Yeah. Right? And some people, you know, they do so well in one role, then they get put into another role. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a big leap. But then again, I was like, okay, I know the mission. So just like I got this BD thing. I'm going to do the same thing here. So I used my skills and considered myself as a hunter and just started calling people. And it was tough because not only did I have to set the meeting, but I had to keep those conversations going. Right. You know, it's not just about setting meetings anymore. No, no, it's not about setting meetings. Like, okay, I'm here. You got the girl in front of you now. It's time to talk. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the good thing was that. I did my research. Yeah. And it didn't go from talking anymore. It went from listening. And that's when my shyness really did help me because I was a great listener. And sales yes. is more of a listening sport than it's a talking sport. Yeah. Say that again for, for everybody, please. Yeah, so sales is a listening sport more than it's a talking support, a sport. And that's what my financial advisor says is I think you'll be great in sales because you're a great listener and you're a good, honest guy and people like talking to you. And then that's what, now I know what he meant. No one tells you that growing up. Nobody tells you that. So, and then I, I, I did, I did my thing as a rep here and then I got bought out. Fidelis. Fidelis Cybersecurity mm-hmm. out of Maryland. Wow. Man. And then the goal was like, I was going to be in the channel, which okay. I wanted to become a rep, but it wasn't it. And I was like, it's okay. It's the next step. But the channels would help me in my current role right now. Then when I got into the channel, I worked for Fidelis Cybersecurity, right? Um, what they, they were, um, the, one of the venture partners was GD. So when I got to the company, everything was gravy. We were going on trips. I was flying to Texas. And I was just like, yo, I, I went that. from sending meetings to travel to the U.S. Like, <laughs> that was awesome. And then, like, we had company cards. And it was big meetings, big forecast calls. And my job was to set those meetings. And then when I saw what those reps were making and doing, I was just like, wow. Well, like, these people aren't even doctors. These aren't even lawyers. But they're doing really, really well for themselves financially. Mm-hmm. And 
their job is tough, but like if they have a bad day, they just lose a deal. Yeah. It's not it's not operation bad. It's not Nobody physics dies. exactly, right. you know. So, but it's a mindset. It's a stress game. It is very very tough. So when I was like, cool. So I did my thing at Fidel Cybersecurity for a year. I just wasn't getting the thing that I wanted, which has become a rep. People sometimes go to a job and don't know their focus and just kind of get lost in the sauce, you know, mm-hmm. kind of get their foot off the pedal. But I didn't want to do that. And then from Fidel Cybersecurity, I got a call from one of my networks. That's why the Memory Blue Network is so important. This call right here is what helped me get to the financial impact I was trying to get. And Who that, called you? Christian Posse. Christian, Christian Posse. Posse. Wow. So he called you out of the blue or what was the purpose of his call? We were staying in touch. Yeah. I was here in the area. I was in Maryland. He was also in Maryland. So we tried to get up for some coffee and he was like, Hey Mo, I know you always wanted to be a rep. Yeah. I got a position. I was like, no way. And then I moved from Reston to Ashburn at that time. And I was driving from Ashburn to Rockville, Maryland. Wow. That's where Fidelis was. So 45, 50 minutes daily commute. So I listened to podcasts and NPR, a lot of stuff like that. So, or I would just get motivated, just put on some. Get ready for calling. <laughs> and then um, he gave me a call. like, hey, Mo, there's a job out here in Leesburg. I said, he said, yeah, a town. I said, Leesburg? He's like, yeah. I said, bro, that's 10 minutes away from my house. He said, it's a closing position. It's with a VAR. I said, bro. He said, it's a recruiter. I have, I'm good with my job. Do you want to take it? I was like, absolutely. So I went from setting up meetings to having a position to become a rep because at Fidelis, those reps weren't going anywhere. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I saw these were older guys. Yeah. 40s, 50s. And I'm like, I'm coming out the gate. My 20s just like, yeah. I'm not going to outseat these people. But I still have my focus. Like I said, I could have gave up. Then I was like, I'm taking it. So when I got to DH Technologies, where I'm at right DH now. DH Technologies? Yep. Okay. A value-added reseller for the federal government out in Leesburg, Virginia. But when I got there, yet again, another obstacle. Because when I got there, I wasn't a rep. I was an inside rep. So I would, I would remember you and I talking about this. I was when you an started. inside rep, and I was just like, dude, every time yep. I get to the door, it just somehow just seemed like it closes. But that's just guys just working his time, nine year time, right? So when I get them, like, cool again, whatever it takes, just be patient. And I started this job four years ago, and when I started, I was working on this one guy. Um, I won't, I won't say his name, and I was an inside rep, and in sales, he showed me what not to do. Okay. And share with our listeners. What not to do is that <laughs> I had the mindset from memory blue where I was just hustling. Chris, Mark, you guys know how it is. Mm-hmm. I call it this time. I do my emails. I do my list. I get everything ready. Just boom, boom, boom. Very disciplined. Reps are sloppy now. Mm-hmm. They're very, very sloppy because, you know, they might get up a little bit late, call when they want, maybe call five people. By the time they were calling 10 people, I was already calling like 100. Yep. That's what Mary Blue came from, and it blew people's mind when I came to the company. They're like, dude, where did this guy come from? <laughs> like, where did this, like, wow. But they still didn't give me the position. So the rep that I was working with, he was taking a lot of, of vacays because he worked remote. Maybe he was working, maybe he wasn't. I was mm-hmm. doing all the work. Yep. But I knew what it took because I got what I did from Mary Blue. Said to me, I was giving him everything, so all mm-hmm. he had to do was close, it, close the deal. Yeah. But he didn't close deals. So he went for a full year and he finally closed one deal. And then long story short, he got hacked. Right. Okay. He's gone. I'm his inside rep. I should be able to step up. It's my time. Right before I was going to get that, another rep came in from this big company and he was worried about coming to our company because he would have the support. Mm-hmm. So what our CEO did was like, okay, let's give him, him our best player, which was me again on the let's inside. Low, yeah. And I was just like, that's again, <laughs> you know, so it, it's just... <sighs> Life is very difficult, but you get back up. Mm-hmm. I got back up and I was like, all right, again, you got to reset. Yep. Whatever it takes, mm-hmm. I'm going to get it. And then finally, I was working with him for about a year. And that guy, he was the total opposite. It was closing deals. He was a baller. Mm-hmm. Baller. But he was not the best human being. Okay. And that really showed me. I was like, yo, bro, I don't care how much money you make. Mm-hmm. You cannot treat people like this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, we're here to work together, but like treating me like, you know, I work for you and all this stuff. Like, no, that's not cool. So we, we, we butt heads, but he was a great dude, mm-hmm. you know, but he was so caught up in work that whatever it took, it didn't matter if you were in the way. Mm-hmm. And I, you see reps like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even in the industry now, you got some assholes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Making money and crushing it. $800,000 million, but inside they're not right. Correct. Yeah. And this yeah. game will get you 
<laughs> yeah, for you sure. Know? Life will get you. Life will get you. Don't you don't have to be in professional sales, make a lot of money, be a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> like it, 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 it catches up yep, no, at some point. So um, after that, finally, this was in September. I went up to my CEO and in September and the federal government is the busiest time. Mm-hmm. The government had spent all the money in 30 days. Mm-hmm. So I made one of the biggest decisions in my career. I could have lost my job. I said, hey, look, I'm done with this guy. I need my own accounts. I don't care if sink or swim. I'll fig- give me a million dollar. Qu- I don't care. Give me a quota. I want to, I want to, I don't want to do this. Basically at the point where I, I, I do this or I'm out. Yep. I gave him that option and he did, he gave me a chance. Young. You earned the chance. I earned the but chance. But you asked for it. And he, it, gave it he, he, he did great. Give it to you, but like you earned it. And, and that's for asking. And then when I yeah. asked for it, I got it. And then I was the youngest rep in the company. Like, 22 years old, you know, just becoming a rep. I was like, okay, and I'm getting on calls and these people have worked at GD and companies for 20, 30 years. And I'm just like, okay, hey, <laughs> what's going on? I worked at this company, but people just liked me because I was on the phone and, and, and I listened, mm-hmm. did what I did at Memory Blue and that really got me ahead. And you learned along the way though. Oh yeah, you for sure. Fidelis, you learned from the, the guys, all the things you're doing right at it was the DH found, and, It was the foundation. Yeah, yeah. When I first well, started off in that. sales. Okay. You know, and that yeah. helped me got there. And then when I got to that position, I got a few accounts and I really did excel because I saw what people weren't doing, mm-hmm. even the best ones. Yeah. What they weren't doing. I was just like, well, we're playing the same sport, but you're not blocking and tackling. You're just trying to catch touchdowns. Mm-hmm. That's all they wanted to do was catch right. touchdowns. I want to catch touchdowns too, but I'm a I'm a full full game type of guy. That's right. So I played the full game and I legitimately <laughs> smoked people. And what I mean by that, it was that, you know, talk to my customers every day. Yeah. Right. And then when my pipeline was small, what did I do? Got meetings. It wasn't like, all right, Mo, we need you to get on the phone. Like people, managers now have to beg reps to get on the phone. Right. Yeah, do you guys? I'm sure you guys believe that. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. the same held true when Mark and I were yeah. before we started Memory Blue. Because it's hard, Mo. Yeah, mm-hmm. most people, and it's not any any. Does it make you any better or yeah. worse than someone else? But most of the difficult things in life, people don't want to do them. Yeah. And in our line of work, the psychological trauma that comes with the rejection, yeah. yes. I'm calling complete strangers, wears people out. But that actually helped me because when I talk about my speech impediment, going back to that, is mm-hmm. that. I legitimately had to get better at that. So what did I do? I had to get better at my speaking. So I would just go in the mirror and just speak to take my time. I would pick up the phone or just put on audio uh, recording and just yep. talk. Hey, this is more from D- you know, this is more from DH Tech. If I caught you about a time, just pause. One, two, three. And it was legitly was an act. Like you get on the phone as a character, and I wanted to be the best at my character. So practicing, 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 and then we beca- when um, I became a rep, and then that's when the last two years at DA Technologies, I've been a rep. And then last year, I did uh, really, really well, crushed it, Hell hit yeah. my quota, um, which was phenomenal. And I was in a way where I can support my family, you know, help with my financial freedom, you know. And being a rep is just no, it's the best decision I made, Mo. Have the has the family come around yet? Yeah, the, oh yeah, after, yeah. I think right, after, right. I think after the first check, they were just like, "All right, uh, I know we doubted you, but you you can keep doing this." So, it, so, so Mo, how long have you been closing? So I've been closing now for about uh, coming on to three years. Three years. Yeah, the first year was tough. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I want you to look back over those three years. What's your most memorable deal, win or lose? Oh man, one of my most memorable deals, the deal that I did last year. It was So it's a win? It was a win. All right. It Tell was us. A, it was a win. So uh going to a de- uh, deal deep dive. It was about I sold a VDI solution, which is virtual desktop infrastructure to the federal government. And then it had a like a five different solutions on it. And then one thing that you get better at while you're in those positions is just negotiating. Right. That's one thing I think that comes out of memory blue that you need to go out there on your own. That's, that's what I was doing. You develop. I was reading, I was listening to tapes, I was negotiating that next step. Then when I got there, I was a reseller. I'm a reseller now. So what a reseller is, I need to talk to my manufacturer and mm-hmm. try to get their products for the cheapest price so I can sell it to Mark for market price to make my margin. So was it VMware or? So I sold a Nutanix. Nutanix, okay. Yeah, I sold a Nutanix. It was a Nutanix and HPE combination deal. And what I did was that I talked to the customer and I got the budget, right? And then I got lucky. The rep that was there left. So they had a new rep come. It was an interim rep, an inside rep. You know, me, I, I, I catch things and I was like, oh, this rep, 
It's desperate. Yeah. This is the Nutanix rep? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, this rep is desperate. And then I was like, hey, look, I've been working this deal, coming on board. It's like, this was going on. Basically told them what I got going on, right? And I said, okay, what I need to do? I was like, look, I'll be honest with you. Like, we need to lower this price. I'm running this deal. You're not, you just coming here. He's like, yeah, if I hit my quota, I, I get a promoted. So it was helping elevate people. Because I elevated her, she elevated me. Mm-hmm. So she came back and gave me a crazy discount. I ended up making up like, 45% margin on that deal. Wow. And yeah. typically, how much margin do you normally make? Typically, if you have registration, yeah. which means that you have the best price on the market and you are protected, nobody else can do that, um, you get about 15 to 20%. And you got 45? I got 45%. So, you know, when I you came in, you were a hero. Yeah, when I came in, it was a huge bottle popping event. I don't drink, but there was bottles popping. <laughs> <laughs> bottles were popping. You were just pouring, right? So, so what did, what did, what did, what did your coworkers say when you hauled in that? They couldn't believe it was just like, yo, just like, what did you do? You know what I mean? And I remember that. That quarter, I got like 300, I think 40% like uh, in sales quota just for that quarter. 340% of quota. Yeah, just for that quarter because we have a quarterly quarter too. So that was phenomenal. And then, you know, 28 now and still going through my accounts, still learning. And I have a, what sales also helped me now is that I have a podcast as well. Mm -hmm. So called. Yes, tell us about that. So I have a podcast. Well, well, let's talk about two things. One thing is I'm not on social media really. Mm -hmm. So I don't get to see it as much. But I hear about it from other people, and I know you. I want to talk. Tell us about your podcast. Yeah. And tell us about your your charity involvement. Oh yeah, no, um, so um, I run a podcast right now with my good friend Jabril, who went to college. We have several businesses too. Um, so called the Young and Muslim Podcast with the voice of the young and Muslim culture. So we've been doing it for about two years now. Have ninety four episodes, and the podcast um, sales has helped me with that because, you know, um, I have more time and I work remote and, you know, get deals done and have that free time to get things done with the podcast. I don't have to be a nurse to work 12 hours, 14, you know, so that's a a good thing about sales flexibility. You have a phone and a laptop. I can work from wherever. So we've been doing the podcast and uh, we've been doing pretty good since. And what's the theme of the podcast? So uh, basically we take you through a day or a life of some young Muslims here in America. So okay. black young Muslims here in America and our struggles usually are struggles with all youth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can be, you know, uh, you know, it can be online addiction. It could be family issues, mm-hmm. relationships. So it's things that everybody goes through, you know, but we talk about it from our perspective and try to collaborate. And in the high tech sales, uh, I would say definitely change the conversation because a lot of, foreigners or just Muhammad's or just people in the Muslim faith, they go after IT, but nobody knows about this other side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They call it the dark side. <laughs> For <laughs> really? a reason. They call sales the dark side. They call it sales the dark side because the lights are off. And yeah. We're in there hustling, right? right? But the light is on IT, focused on going out there, becoming a PM, being CSSP certified, mm-hmm. and you'll make tons of money doing that which is all know? great yeah it's a great yeah. profession but like yeah. what on the other what about the sales I, nobody side. talks about it. so now when people ask me what I do and they're surprised but like yo you're in IT I was like yeah I'm in IT just like you mm-hmm. you know they're like wow and that's what I do like, I was like yeah I call you guys <laughs> <laughs> right I call you guys you know what I mean and um it's helped me now because my brother and my family understand what sales is and high tech sales is so now I've opened up a new Avenue, so it's no longer this, this, and this. Is like, oh wow, Muhammad Addis and another mm-hmm. tool to the tool belt, and you can do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Just staying focused, just being grateful, keeping God and family first. So it's been one heck of an adventure, man. That's good. So I know your faith is really important. Yes, to you. Yep. and uh, I remember you kind of introduced me. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you want to tell that story? So um, during Ramadan, so people that know that Ramadan is a thirty-day um, spiritual cleanse. You fast. It is a it's the month of the Quran, which is the holy book for Muslims. So it's a lot of reading in there, a lot of reflecting. And then I was always talking with you guys because, you know, we had that good relationship here. It was a small company when I was at Memory mm-hmm. Blue. And I was like, yo, we're going to fast. When I was at Memory Blue, I was like, I sent out a mass email yep. to the team. I was like, I'm going to fast today. Whoever wants to join me, this is the routine. This is what you need to do. I think good amount of people joined me, but only a few lasted. <laughs> I, I think Mark was done at 11.55. I was in. I can't. I'm not, I can't do that. I was in. That was Chris, good. Yeah, it was Chris good. the whole way. Yeah, it was, was good. Awesome. I, what I remember uh, most about the experience was um, 
wasn't the lack of food. It was the lack of water. That, that really was, got uh, me. That was big. And, uh, you know, I was a first timer where you know, you're a veteran mm-hmm. and I just did it for one day and you need to do it for, for 30 for days, 30 days. Yeah, 30 <laughs> days, no water, no food, no, nothing past the mouth from sunrise to sunset. So, yeah, and that really did help me because I, I, I was here in Blue and I would, I would pray here too. So that really did help because. I need sometimes you need that break in sales, you know, to catch up, recover with yourself, reflect, and then time to get back to work. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Face important. That's right. It's important. So, uh, how do you keep your skills sharp, Mo? Oh, man. That's uh, going back to the basics, just getting on the phone. Okay. Things are done off the phone. You can't close a deal on email unless you're sending a DocuSign. That's right. There you go. A lot of SDRs like to do, all they like to do is they like to book meetings via email. Oh, man. What, What would you say to that? Um, it's nice. You know, you get a, a few bl- bluebirds here and there. All right, wow, this is cool. This is, but when that becomes your game, you become sorry. <laughs> because it's just like Kobe was saying everything. All you do is working on your shot. You're not trying your layups. You're not dunking. You're not playing defense. That's all you're doing. Somebody's going to stop that. Right. One day you're going to get tired of it and that move's not going to work. So I was like, I need to just keep calling. Mm-hmm. I'm making my cold calls, staying on the phone with customers, doing my lead write-ups, writing down my things, you know, still being very, very disciplined because nobody has to tell me to get on the phone. I'm, again, from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. I know that people are coming in early. So if I need to catch somebody early, I'll call them at 730. This is the military that I'm mm-hmm. calling DOD. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those are the type of skills that has kept me sharp, you know. It's, it's kind of tougher because I don't have that DM and kind of environment because I'm the only person doing this. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a whole big responsibility. Yeah. You have to hold yourself accountable. You have to develop that discipline yourself. Mm-hmm. Very difficult. But if you can do it, the world is your oyster. At, exactly. And I was like, not only was I was getting meetings, closing meetings and the pipeline just kept building and I was doing it myself and then my boss like, Mo, can you come help us? You know, like, how do you do this? So I was definitely coming in and training and helping people develop their lead uh, generation pool as well. That's great. And then uh, if you look back, mm-hmm. what, do you, what would you say is the biggest mistake your fellow Memory Blue contemporaries make when they leave the company? Oh, man. Uh, I would say the biggest mistake is forgetting the whole reason why you started, like whether it's in sales or staying focused and forgetting those skills that you got. Because those small things that I just talked about earlier, not only does it make a difference in your game, but in your paycheck. Yep, for like sure. Like you're talking like two digits sometimes, yep. you know, and just by being disciplined and doing what you're meant to do. So they're missing, they're leaving a lot of money on the table and it's going to fall behind, you know? So staying what you learn, stay true and keep that hunger. Stay you know hungry. what I mean? Stay hungry. Mo, thanks for thank, thank uh, you guys. joining us in the flesh. Absolutely. These crazy COVID-19 times. It was great. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it's been five years. I know. That's wild. I'm thrilled you're doing so well. Yeah. I'm not Thank surprised you. at all, but it's so great to hear. <laughs> and but, uh, my CEO says all the time, just like, yo, you nailed the interview. Like, I, I don't know how I could have found you. Like, you, you came to me, you know? And he's like, wherever I people go and they hear Memory Blue, it is legit, the certified stamp. Like, this is official. Well, no. uh, not everyone takes that yeah seal mm-hmm. and does what you've done mm-hmm. so that's more about you than it is about the seal i appreciate that yeah absolutely yeah we're fortunate i mean everyone i tell this to a lot of the most all the podcasts but we're very fortunate that you mm-hmm. work for us uh, you did the job you did and i'm i'm thankful eternally thankful that you're, you're an alum I, I appreciate you guys too for everything for sure well this was great thanks mo thanks chris thank you mark peace guys peace out The pain of finding and hiring strong sales professionals is a critical challenge that is widespread and getting worse. The Memory Blue Direct Hire Service specializes in filling sales development roles within the high-tech space. And with a one-year performance guarantee and 0% interest financing, you can feel secure in your selection process when you use Memory Blue Direct Hire. As a company, we hire close to 300 SDRs annually across our five office locations. That's nearly an SDR per day all year long. Finding, hiring, and developing sales talent is the core strength of our business. Now we're letting the public tap into the resources of our world-class talent team, specifically trained to find high potential SDRs in order to close this gap. For more information on this service, check out memoryblue.com slash direct.
Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beat.